buddies. Welcome once again to the Frank Observer Podcast. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, and today I bring to you episode 45, film 45, The Silence of the Tomb. Silence of the Tomb, on Silencio del Tumba. Uh, there hasn't really been too much silence in my tomb, as in the Desperate Visions tomb. We are um, doing post-production now on the two films and doing editing, but uh, I wanted to take a break in between editing to knock out a couple episodes of my favorite show. Um, of course, that is the Frank Observer Podcast. So, we are on film 45, episode 45, Un Silencio de Tumba, A Silent Tomb. Uh, the Blu-ray calls it The Silence of the Tomb. So, uh, production company on this is Films Manicoa, PC out of Madrid, theatrical distributors, Bilbania Films, uh, Bilbao. Timeline shooting is autumn 1972. Uh, it was classified for Spanish release on December 13th of 1974 and finally played Madrid on December 21st of 1976. Theatrical running time uh, out of Spain is the only release on this and it was 83 minutes. Cast, Glenda Allen plays Annette Lamarck. Albert Dalbales plays Juan Ribas. Yelena Samarina plays Vera Steiner. Luis Undoy plays Jerome Weber. Mario Alex plays Vincent Durban. Manuel Pererio plays Bongo. The great Kali Hansa, in her first Jess Franco film, plays Laura, the maid. Francisco Acosta as Jean Harris, Jean Paul. The beautiful Montessarest Prouse plays Valerie Lamarck, who is uh, in quite a few Franco films after this. And uh, Carolyn Rivera um, is plays... Jerome's girlfriend. Credits uh, directed by Jess Franco, based on the novel Un Silencio de Tumba by Enrique Jarnes Barcoa. Screen adaptation by Jess Franco, director of photography Javier Perez Zofio. Editor Roberto Fandino. Art director and set designer Jose Massage. Music David Kuhn, Fernando Garcia Murcielo. Producer Jess Franco. Production manager Antonio Cervares Garcia. Uh, assistant producer, production, Isidro Prouse. Assistant director, Francisco Noah. Uh, let's see, camera operator, Alberto Prouse. And uh, do, 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 some other people, makeup, Carmen Marchia, uh, film and technoscope. And our thanks to the authorities and people of Calape and Altia Alicante for their cooperation in the making of this film. All right, so once again, we get all information from Murderous Passions, Volume 1, The Tome by Stephen Thrower, which is a must-have, and pretty much anybody that's listening to these pretty much has Volume 1 and Volume 2, I would assume, um, if you're a hardcore Franco fan, if you're a casual fan, or just check out the show, I would highly recommend this book. Uh, I got it on Amazon, and it looks like the first one's been kind of out of print now or something, or they're delaying selling it, so I would try to scoop up copies as quick as you can. If you can't get Volume 1, at least pick up Volume 2. That's uh, readily available before that disappears. But, uh, yeah, I highly recommend these books, especially with um, the constant Jess Franco films that are coming out. And uh, as I record this on Blu-ray, Severin just released um, House of Lost Women and uh, Black Boots Leather Whips uh, coming out, I believe, the end of July, uh, somewhere around August, for the pre-sale date, which, of course, I did. So, yeah, I would uh, check that out. Of course, Severin is uh, carrying the torch for Uncle Jess, and we got uh, commentary by other Franco scholars and fans. Uh, Robert O'Neill and Stephen Thrower does some stuff on there, and they do in the land of uh, Franco, like Volume 5 and 6. And so, yeah, there's quite a bit on their CD soundtracks and uh, some good stuff. So, yeah, I, w- I would recommend this. Um, but this film right here, Silence of the Tombs, this came out... Um, and it looks like it might be on a moratorium as well, or going out of print, uh, on a double feature DVD. The first one they put out um, by uh, Dorado Films. And there was a little bit of a thing because Dorado Films put out this uh, Just Franco's Forgotten Films Volume 1. 
uh, back in 2016, and five years later, uh, this is their only release. Uh, I guess they have a second one coming that they've been talking about for the last few years, and uh, I guess it's moving forward. Um, we'll see how that is, but um, yeah, so this one is through Dorado Films. It possibly is still in print, not sure, but it has uh, Silence of the Tomb, 1972, and The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff, 73, which is films 45 and 48. Um, of course, after this is Las Abernales and Sinner, um, Portrait of an Infomaniac, and then uh, Sinister Eyes um, of Dr. Orloff is 48. So yeah, that's what this is, is on this uh, Blu-ray on this. Um, and looking at the cover, it's got a quote from Monell around the cover, Robert Monell, so that's cool, awesome. Good guy, he's on Facebook and uh, Instagram, I follow him as well, and uh, does the Franco State of Mind, which is a great um, webpage to definitely check out, good website, a lot of Franco writings and great reviews. Anyway, so here we go, Signs of the Tomb, production notes. An application for authorization to shoot was made for Silence of the Tombs on November 17, 1972, which suggests that it was slotted in just before Franco and his crew headed off to Las Palmas to shoot Les Abernales and Sinner, Diary of a Nymphomaniac. The film marked the birth of Franco's production company, Films Manicoa PC. The name was drawn from an episode of the Spanish comic strip Abracito Agent Sorrento by Manuel Vasquez, who appeared in a guest role as a police sketch artist in The Awful Dr. Orloff. Oh yeah, he's really good in that film. Uh, and you can tell he's an artist by his sketch drawing. Um, Manico was set up with the assistance of Antonio Cervera, Franco's production manager on Silence of the Tombs, and two other further productions, Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff and Night of the Skull. Uh, Sir Cervera's only other credits were as production manager on Paul Nashi Vehicles, Frank Stein's Bloody Terror, and La Criminelle de Petite, 1972, uh, Petois, to Franco, who was constantly seeking production backing across the lengths and breadth of Europe. Setting up his own production company must have made a lot of sense. The plan was to launch with three films featuring Montserrat Prouse, but only one of these, Signs of the Tombs, was ever made under the Manicoa heading. Silence of the Tombs remained on the shelf for four years before securing a handful of Spanish playdates, turning up second on a bill to various releases in 76, including Rene Cardona's Survive. Review. <clears throat> a truly terrible contribution to the Ten Little Indians' giallo format, Un Silencio de Tumba sees Franco unable to enliven the material. With Italian, with Italian giallo maestro Mario Bava, found himself stuck with similarly boring script in Five Dolls for an August Moon, almost a blueprint for Un Silence de Tumba. He alleviated the stock situations with exuberant eruptions of style for its own sake. Franco probably made Silence of the Tombs for a quarter of the money, even the underfunded Bava could muster, but I'm afraid it's lack of inspiration rather than a limited budget which drags the effort down. Even the cheapest Franco films usually have something to offer the dedicated viewer. This, however, is one of the thankfully rare instances in which there's nothing at all to nourish our attention. Other than a few little eccentricities on the soundtrack, there's little to suggest it was made by the same man who created cut-price marvels like Vampiros Lesbos or Nightmares Come at Night. Un Silencia de Tumba is composed of 99% chatter, 1% murder, and 0% sex. Hardly the formula that made the giallo film such a saleable commodity. Unusually for Franco, even the locations are boring, which is a real problem in a film which consists mainly of groups of people standing around talking incessantly. Amid the humdrum action, one character even slips away from the island without being noticed. She simply walks out, hitches a ride on a boat, then disappears from the plot. To make the scene even more perplexing, the unnamed, unmissed character is played by Franco's own stepdaughter, Caroline Rivera. Maybe she had a row with her stepfather. Structurally, this is a half-hearted, lackadaisical piece of work. Exposition is clumsily info-dumped under... Sorry. Exposition is clumsily info-dumped using a voiceover from the bitter and jealous Valerie, played by Prowse, who helpfully names all the visitors and explains their relations to one another during the interminable first 
party, first real party scene. According to her, the number one crime of the characters is selfishness. Vincent wants to marry Annette, but she doesn't want to look after her child. Annette herself spends very little time with the boy and palms him off onto her sister. However, for the story to ignite, we could do with a few really vivid sin. Sorry. However, for the story to ignite, we could do with a few really vivid sins for the killer to punish. Instead, apart from what we hear about their past activities, financial finagling mostly, we're asked to find Annette's friends contemptible because they play party music too loud and wake up little Christian. Hardly the most monstrous behavior in the wicked world of the Giallo, where rape, molestation, murder, and blackmail are the norm. To make matters worse, the final act simply falls apart. In a development that makes no sense whatsoever, it's revealed that little Christian has been taken by Bongo, the benevolent family servant, and kept safely away from the home. Is he an accessory to the killer's plan? No, it would seem that the child's disappearance and the murder plot just happened to occur simultaneously. This cannot be called a twist. It's simply nonsense. All the motivations are unbelievable, and the characters are lazily conceived. The murderer admits that Valerie is the only decent person in this shithole, but has no hesitation in trying to kill her anyways. Bongo is depicted as a kindly old lunatic, but surely by demanding a ransom and terrorizing Valerie, he's lost any claim to our sympathy. Meanwhile, everything is dragged down further by the character of Valerie herself, who spends the whole film either crying or self-righteously criticizing everyone. Unsilience de Tumba was never translated into English for foreign sales, and no wonder. A world market where violent, inventive giallo thrillers by Dario Argento, Lucio Fulci, Umberto Lindsay, and Sergio Martino were, of no, were on offer. Who would want to distribute something as lackluster and workaday as this? The murders are banal, there's nothing in the way of eroticism, the camera work is conventional, and as thrillers go, well, a black man could could teach it a thing or two about tautness. A strong contender for Jess Franco's dullest film, literally the only exciting thing about the whole package is the wonderful Spanish poster. Cast and crew. Cameraman Javier Perez... Zofio first worked for Franco as a camera operator on Justine and Count Dracula. He went on to shoot Franco's Night of the Skull and Killer Barbies. His other work included camera operator credits on three Paul Nagy films, Werewolf Shadow, Horror Rises from the Tomb, and Devil's Possessed. Music. The music, especially the mournful and disconsolate Girl from Ipanema ripoff that plays over the credits, is the only element worth celebrating. There is... Where are we at here? Uh, there's some avant-garde scrapings of piano innards to enliven a few scenes, and a very curious piece for organs and hi-hat that sounds like something David Lynch might have used to some nefarious going-ons in Twin Peaks. But even these elements cannot add luster or magic to the dull action. Location. The rocky outcrop of Penon de Efache in Calape is glimpsed in one shot. The rest of the story was filmed in Altia, along the coast between Calape and Alicante. And let's see, it's wrapping up here. Connection. Uh, Insolience de Tumba is allegedly based on a novel of the same name by Enrique Harnes Bergara, a.k.a. Eric Jarbor and Henry Jarnes Berger. Born in Casacante in 1919, Bergara is perhaps best known in Spain for adapting the adventure of Dan Dare for Spanish radio as Diego Valor pilot of the future, which racked up over 1,200 episodes in five years. The ransom for the return of Christian is delivered from the Bank of Manicoa, a reference to Franco's production company. So did Silence of the Tombs enter production on a promise of money from another producer, with Franco forced to stump up the cash when they dropped out? If so, it would make sense of an otherwise pointless in-joke. According to the Manicoa files, when Jerome refers to a film called Dracula contra Sartana, Franco was incorporating an idea recently suggested to him in all seriousness by an Italian producer. Uh, the plot utilizes an idea from Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes story, Silver Blaze, specifically the most quoted curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. 
Other versions. Stills have been found featuring Montserrat Prowse and Alberto de Bale's nude, but there is no trace of a nude scene in this version released on Spanish video. Either they were trimmed for video, shot for a as-yet-unseen export version, or they never made the original cut. So, yeah, so that's all they have written down for um, The Silence of the Tombs in the book. Um, I have yet to watch it. I'm going to be watching it later with uh, guest reviewer Eric Whitwell, uh, and I will be watching Silence of the Tombs, and uh, after watching it and taking our notes, we'll review it and speak about it in some detail, I'm sure. Uh, try to stretch it out a little bit, not make it too short, because the last few episodes have been kind of short. Um, let's see. Yeah, like I said, on DVD, or DVD Blu-ray, you can get it on Blu-ray through uh, this uh, company here, Dorado Films. Uh, Blu-ray on Amazon. Uh, these say both films mastered in 4K from R35mm prints. Got a video chat with Robert Woods, script of the original ending for Signs of the Tombs, and trailers. So that's on these. It's an ABC uh, all-region disc. And uh, so, yeah, that's cool. We'll see how that is. Watch it out and see uh, how the quality is. I've heard mixed things, so we'll see how that is. Um, if you want to find us on Facebook, we're on uh, Franco Observer Podcast. On Instagram, you can find our page at Franco Observer Podcast. If you want to send us an email, uh, any questions or comments or praise or, uh, you know, anything else, you can get us at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. Uh, let's see what else. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Please download all the episodes. Please tell your friends. Please share the podcast. Uh, help us get new listeners, please. Uh, we're kind of been going up and down with uh, numbers, to be totally transparent with you. And uh, I'd like to kind of build on our uh, current base. We have a good faithful base, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, we need to get the get the new Franco fans in with all the new releases and such. Uh, there's a whole new crop, I'm sure, of new Franco fans that are born and created every day. Uh, I myself became a disciple over about two and a half years ago, and I'm in my late 40s, so, you know, if I can do it, a lot of people can do it. Some people are just coming into it late in life, some come into it early, but, uh, yeah, Franco's something that once you get into Franco in your blood, you can't get it out, just like anything you love. For me, it's wrestling and filmmaking, and uh, Jess Franco is a part of that, so, most definitely. Um, but, yeah, definitely download our episodes, subscribe, um, share, rate us, all that good stuff. Um, Apple, all that good stuff, let them know that you dig the show and um, all that other good vibes that we all need. Because, yeah, you know, we're doing this every week. I'm doing it every week. Everybody is. And, uh, you know, it's good to get some recognition and some love for what you do. And uh, to know people are out there and digging your product. Um, we've got a few people that always comment every week and uh, dig the reviews. Um, Gragnar and a bunch of other cool people. So thank you all for doing that. I do appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, tell your friends. And, uh let us keep growing the Franco family. Um, so, yeah, I think I was going to wrap up this little intro part of the episode. Uh, usually about 20 minutes is what I try to like to do. So I'm getting right close to that number. Uh, so, yeah, listen to the other half of the show. You'll hear me and Eric talk about Silence of the Tombs. And then the following episode, 46, Les Ebernales, uh, I do a Zoom episode with... Uh, Kali out of Los Angeles and uh, just give you a spoiler alert. Uh, Lisa Bernalis, Shakers, Mansion of Vice, Pick Up Girls. I love that goddamn movie. First time I watched it and I, I love it. So, yeah. So, I'll give you a little spoiler on the next episode. I really like the movie. So, alrighty. So, that's that on this. Um, hope you all are doing well. I'm doing better. Things around me are healing. Uh, had some technical difficulties with some different equipment, camera lenses, uh, memory cards, this and that. But, uh, yeah, things are turning around, car problems, all that good stuff. But uh, things are healing up. Jason means healer, and that's what I'm doing. So I hope you all are healing and doing well. And uh, let's see, you know, our, our uh, mission statement before I want to say is, you know, praise the memory of Jess Franco, bringing the name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. That's my mission statement. I'm doing that every day. Love you, Uncle Jess. Listen all.
Hey, buddies. Welcome once again to the Frank Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, uh, from Desperate Visions Productions, Sacramento, California-based filmmaking company. Uh, just wrapping up on Lady Hyde and on Emmanuel in Sin City. Those are in post-production now. Principal photography is wrapped, and we are in the editing stages and uh, this is Silence of the Tombs, so coming today to you from the tombs of the Desert Visions compound is uh, my co-host for this episode, Mr. Eric Whitwell. Hey! Hey, hey, hey. So, uh, we just got done watching uh, film 45, um, Und Silencio de Tumba, Silence of the Tombs. Uh, this is one of Jess Franco's Manicoa productions, actually his first uh film for his uh, production company. Um, we'll go ahead and read the synopsis here. It's quite lengthy because this film has a lot of dialogue and a lot of talking, so uh, I'm going to go through and uh, read the synopsis, and then I will ask Eric his thoughts on the film, and we will discuss said film. All right, synopsis. Fresh from a arduous film shoot on a Western, Strangers in Kerbergen, Annette Lamarck, an actress who's recently hit the big time, takes a group of film industry acquaintances, producer Jerome Weber and his girlfriend, Vincent Durbin, a lawyer working for Weber, Vera Steiner, a photographer, and Juan Rebus, a detective, to her home on a desolate Spanish island. Accompanying the group is scriptwriter Jean-Paul, who is Annette's ex-lover and the father of her young son, Christian. The child is cared for on the island by Annette's sister Valerie and two servants, Laura and Bongo. Valerie hates her sister passionately. She's jealous of her beauty and success, judgmental of her friends and lifestyle, and feels she does little to care for the child. One of the guests, Vincent, wants to marry Annette, but says he doesn't want to get saddled with a stepson. Various possibilities are suggested, with Jerome concerned that looking after a child would harm Annette's career and Jean-Paul angrily declaring that he refuses to allow Christian to be cared for by another man. Valerie is furious with the group for treating the child like an object to be owned or discarded. She feels that she is the only one who really cares about him and threatens murder if anyone takes the child away. In the middle of the night, Christian is kidnapped, and the kidnapper demands two million pesos. If anyone contacts the police, the child will be killed. Juan, Valerie's friend, reasons that the kidnapper must be one of the current guests because the dogs did not bark at an intruder during the night. The next morning, Valerie and Vincent leave the island by a small motorboat to obtain the ransom money from a bank on the mainland. As Valerie tries to solve the mystery and find the boy, the assembled guests are picked off by a killer. First is Vincent, blown up by explosives in a motorboat. Then Laura, stabbed through the throat. Then Vera, hanged from a light fitting. Annette is stabbed, and Jean-Paul too. It turns out that Vincent is not dead after all. He has arranged the murderous weekend to get back at the people who conned his son out of money for their business and against Annette, for who seduced him purely for his money. Christian is safely in the hands of Bongo the servant. Juan declares his love for Valerie, revealing that he is not a detective but a psychiatrist whom Annette asked to keep an eye on her sister. Valerie, Juan, and Christian leave the island together. So, Eric, what did you think of the film? It was pretty good. Honestly, it was a pretty good movie. It wasn't a, it wasn't quite, quite Franco-ish, uh, but no, it was, it was good. It was really, really good. Uh, dialogue, pacing, uh, again, locations. Um, yeah, really, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, um, it's funny because uh, Stephen Thrower writes about it in Murderous Passions, of course, uh, Jess Franco, Volume 1. That he says, uh, Signs of the Tombs is composed of 99% chatter, 1% murder, and 0% sex. Hardly the formula that made the Giallo film such a saleable commodity. Unusually for Franco, even though locations are boring, which I don't think that's true, uh. which is a real problem for the film, which consists mainly of groups of people standing around rabbiting incessantly. <laughs> rabbiting. Uh, amid the humdrum action, one character even slips away from the island without being noticed. She simply walks out, hitches a ride on a boat, and disappears from the plot. To make the scene even more perplexing, this unnamed, unmissed character is played by Franco's own stepdaughter, Caroline Rivera. <laughs> Maybe she had a row with her stepfather. Okay, that's what it was. That's funny. So, 
So that must be his that his wife at the time's daughter, which I didn't know. Yeah, no, that was that was really confusing because yeah, she's only like in the background, like in the beginning scene, sitting on a couch. And, yeah, and then all of a sudden, there's like a whole exit scene of her walking to a boat and leaving. I guess, yeah, it was a lot for someone that really wasn't in the movie. And then she's in uh, Sinner, and she plays a seamstress. And of course, she doesn't get nude now. That I know it's a stepdaughter. Yeah. It's funny because yeah, she plays a gal that's uh, working like sewing when something else happens uh, to. Um, Montserrat's character and then Alinda, uh, and then uh, later on she's in this group of uh, people that are picked up at this drug party and she's like standing against the wall and she's being checked by Howard Vernon her eyes to see if she's drugged out like that's it yeah. like, I was like okay and she plays two <laughs> characters in that but no nudity or nothing yeah. but no um, I actually like this movie a lot more than I thought I would yeah. uh, just reading the book I, was expe- I wasn't expecting a lot and it's funny the movies that I don't expect a lot are that Stephen Thrower kind of doesn't put down but doesn't rise up as much I actually kind of like same with uh, the following film um, Mansion of Vice The Shakers um, Les Abernales uh, Thrower doesn't really like it that much and I really dug it and this movie it's like really cool especially reading about it it's like um, Wanda Stewart Prowse this is her first film for Franco and she's like really amazing super she, good she carries this whole film super good she's like starts off with like crazy and you think that she's the killer because you know I'm going to kill them all and he, yeah. and he sets it up that she's a psycho that you think she's going to pick her because you know it's a murder mystery so you think okay she's the one that's going to kill everybody and then in the end you realize that like she's the best person in the film she cares about the kid she knows all these other people are bullshit and, and she's like she says she defends the kid and she don't like the situation and stuff and even though she hates her sister her sister did care for her and, and sent, the det- or sent the psychiatrist to like look out for her and everything so it, it's it's kind of a good story about this woman that's fighting for her, her uh, a nephew, you know, and yeah. she's, and she wants to be a good parent and care for the kid and see the kid succeed. So there's nothing wrong with that, you know. And and uh, yeah, it's funny. And then everything's good before this whole group arrives. In which that setting's done a lot in like uh, Bay of Blood, and uh, of course it's based off of uh, the Tin Little Indians, where a group of people arrive at a party or arrive at a location, and here it's these actors they talk about when they're on the boat going to the island and and uh and about how they movies and how they're just so full of themselves and yeah. as a director and a person's actress and they kind of establish that bourgeois attitude of how they're gods almost you know and then yeah. they're picked off but well, they call it, they basically call it like american directors like like they're stepkids kind yeah. of yeah. <laughs> and they're like we're we're here and we're like returning they're almost like yeah. like homer or coming to home after battle and they're yeah. like taking the stuff so she was crazy though man like it's like i started like towards the end i started thinking like well maybe she has a split personality because she was like i'm going to kill them like you know like she's talking to herself in her head a lot well you know? in the beginning though it starts off with a lot of her internalizing dialogue mm-hmm. and then as the movie goes that kind of disappears yeah so she doesn't talk a lot in the beginning you just hear everything and then as it goes through she starts talking to people and yeah. the, the dialogue inner dialogue it's totally gone about halfway through, which I noticed that she does. She she stops talking to herself, and when she takes charge, you know, yeah. Because at first she's like, "Oh, this person's cheating on me," and all the way through, and this happens happening, and thinking everybody's against her and all this shit, uh, which there was because there was that whole thing going yeah. on, you know. But shit uh, was happening. <laughs> yeah, but it was just a different view of, of her perception of what was wrong. But uh, so then when she takes charge and gun stuff, then she stops talking to herself, and in the end, you know, she's she's the fucking hero. She yeah. shoots that fucking guy and. And she takes charge, and she doesn't back away and hide, and and she survives. Yeah. She's the lone female survivor. Like they talk about the um, final girl, like they talk about in horror movies where everybody dies, and the final girl yeah. is the one that. This is an early final girl film. If you think about it, you know yeah. she's the last one. Well, the psychiatrist, I guess, survives too. But, but he's not know. a girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he wouldn't have survived if it wasn't for her because she shot that guy, and she chased him out and locked the door and shit. Yeah, she kind of saved him by chasing him out and locking the door. Like, yeah, yeah, Cause he yeah. wasn't in there when the guy came in. Right. The guy snuck in. I know? guess I was talking about more like the scene when she was going to kill her sister with the scissors and like in her head, like she was just saying like, yeah, oh, I'm going to kill her. I can't believe blah, blah, blah. You right. Know? Cause she was, cause she thought her sister yeah, was with that, that guy. badass yeah. pair of yeah, fucking yeah. scissors that are just mighty. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't do it. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, Kali Hansa had to take the fucking stabbing from yeah. somebody else off screen. But uh, so yeah, let's go ahead and knock out this uh, list real quick. Uh, so yeah, we start off number one and number three right off the hand, uh, body of water and boats. Yes. Um, no sailboats, but that's fine. I'll, there's, uh, motor boats in this palm trees. I didn't catch any palm yeah, trees in this. Yeah. This location didn't have a palm. It was in Alicante. So, uh, jungle sound effects. Uh, I think we had a, that dog I kept hearing, but not really jungle, but there was animal sound effects. So I'll kind of <laughs> do half point for that. 
Number six, chained up person. No. Well, no. No, I think everybody was tied up or no. nothing in this movie. Everybody was killed or stuff, but nobody was... The noose. Like, that's the yeah. only thing. That's, it was the noose. Oh, yeah. Woman hanged. Yeah, I yeah, that. Was that. It, yeah. Uh, let's see. Seven, dance scene on stage stripping. Well, there's no nudity in this film, so no. that takes all that out of there. Uh, club scenes dancing. No, there's people dancing in that that's party, party yeah. in that room, but I don't really count that. Uh, nine jazz music, a little bit. Uh, Brazilian, Brazil, yeah, a lot of style. different music in this, but I think there might be one jazz tune. I think, um, not anything too crazy. Uh, excessive zooms, not too bad. No. Out of focus shots, a few yeah, caught that yeah. on this. Eleven, uh, number twelve, mirror shots. Yeah, yes. a few mirror shots. Uh, Thirteen, mind control theme, definitely. Um, I caught it um, where. Uh, they had put her under hypnosis. The psychiatrist says when she was sleeping, they would put her under hypnosis, which Franco used that before in Nightmares Come at Night and then in a few other films before that where hypnosis, the person doesn't know what's going on. And then later yeah. in uh, Voodoo Passion, he does that same thing where they're put under hypnosis at night. And, and Sexy she, Sister is also, right? Wasn't uh, the sister put under Yeah, it? sister was too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so he used that quite a bit. So I mean, Satanic sisters are... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Satanic sexy, same thing. Uh, so let's see, my control theme, yes. 14 magic tongue scenes, I didn't see any uh-huh. of this. Red light, Eric was quick to point out in the um, film uh, room, the uh, dark room, yeah. developing film. Uh, 16, no sheepskin rug or masturbation with the letter C item. No, no cucumber, no clown doll, no uh, cigar, nothing. Um, yeah, that was another one I forgot I was watching that black skin, white thighs, and... Uh, Pilar Cole was masturbating with that little like clown doll. That little like uh, oh, that was one of the first ones. It was like a, okay, remember it was like that little that little cloth doll. It was like sewn, and it was like a clown, and it was like a little. And she was like masturbating with the edge of the clown's hat. Damn it! And that was like the third film that we watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was laughing. I was like, oh yeah, there's one of the first masturbation with the sea <laughs> item. It was a child's toy or a clown doll. It's all kinds of seas. Yeah, I was laughing. <laughs> Okay, so 17, mad scientist. No, there's yeah. a psychiatrist, but no mad scientist. Uh, no fish tank shots in this. No talking parrots or parrots of any kind. Uh, number 20, end credits, yes or no? Yes, yeah. it says fin or end in this. Uh, 21, handwritten notes. I don't think there was no On the beer. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's the, I guess, yeah. There's Okay, so there's the ransom note, but it was not handwritten. There was cut out letters. Yeah. And then there was the death threats on the mirror, which I don't really consider that a handwritten note. Like it's more like jail or doctor or cave or okay. something like where it's okay. yeah, in yeah. place of a real sign. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't count that. Yeah, uh, spiral staircase shot, no. Yeah. And one I've added since you've been on um, inept cops because uh, there's always inept cops. <laughs> I've noticed that's every, a good one. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good one. And uh, this one, I don't. There's no cops. Think at all? No, I know. Yeah, because. Uh, Spoiler alert! And the uh, next two films from here, Center, in the end, basically of the film, um, just like with White Skin, Black Thighs, basically. But in this one, uh, the woman um, killed herself and and laid on the guy when he was knocked out, and the cops thought that he did it. And then in the end, the wife finds out that it wasn't him, but she has the evidence, and she throws it in the water. So the cops still think that. Oh, that's he crazy. So, so he thinks cops think that he killed the woman. So the inept cops, it's like the woman killed herself to frame a dude. Yeah, because the guy molested her when she was a kid. Oh god. Oh, ooh, ooh, okay. Life, well, so, okay. Wow. Yeah, so she, she gets him drunk, cuts her oh, throat. Oh shit. Well, she calls the cops and then cuts her throat and lays on the body. And then so when the cops come in, you wake up damn. and she's laying there. Man, he deserved to yeah. have that note thrown away. So then, as the film Fuck goes him. through, you you learn that, and then. Uh, yeah, and then so there's um, inept cops because in the end the guy goes away for a crime he didn't commit. The cops think he did it. You know, I wish she would have used that on him, man. Yeah, like yeah. kill that motherfucker. Well, no, but see that's the thing. <laughs> like me and Collie were talking about that revenge is better because if you kill the guy, well the guy gets out of it, he's dead. Yeah. But now he has to suffer for all those years in prison for something he didn't do. But now he's fucking he's fucked yeah. and, and and he didn't kill that girl. I mean she killed herself. Yeah. But you now he has to do all that time for her death and he didn't yeah. do it. And she so, didn't ask for what he did to her. So right. like, so it's like she had to suffer through so that she, too. Yeah, so that's the whole yeah. thing. You know. And it just makes for a better movie. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. but yeah, but that's another film. That's two episodes sure. from now, as you'll hear. So I kinda of re- recorded these out of order. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, okay. So this I can't film, wait for that episode, man. Yeah, yeah, no, you'll hear it. So yeah, this is uh this had a good cast. Um uh, kind of go through that, because um, uh went through a little bit of it on the earlier part. But um 
now that I've watched it, uh, Glenda Allen, she gets top billed as Annette Lamarck. Uh, she is, um, plays Lena in the next film, um, Mansion of Vice, Shakers, Les Abanalis, uh, and she's the lead in that. And she gets top billing in this. It's crazy. I don't know why. Um, and then Alberto de Valles returns as Juan Rebus. He's the uh, detective slash psychiatrist. And, uh, yeah, he's been in quite a few films this time. He's good. From Demons and, and all the way through and before that and stuff. So, yeah. yeah like he's a pretty him. solid actor. And Eric said it reminds him of um, Christopher Walken. He kind of has that style to him a little bit, his face and that. And pretty solid actor, actually, too. He actually is always believable. He always plays an authority-type figure, uh, somebody that's older, that's kind of, you know, is, isn't inept as much, you know, and he's more balanced character he doesn't play anything crazy or wild or anything extreme he's always a pretty middle of the road type guy you know and so usually a victim or he's always controlled by love usually is his his thing you know um and then we have uh yelena samarina who i like a lot she doesn't really have a big part in this unfortunately she kind of just hangs out has a little dialogue smokes a few and then gets hung by the fucking <laughs> hung by the fan with care for the killer will soon be there. But yeah, she, she, uh, she doesn't get to shine as she does in Dracula's daughter and that, but, uh, and we have Louis in Duny as Jerome Weber. He's okay in this, um, kind of cuckold in the next few films. Uh, Mario Alex as Vincent Durbin, uh, Manuel Pererio as Bongo. Yeah. So Manuel Pereira is pretty good. He's, he's the one in center. I was telling you about that is the victim of the woman killing herself is him. Okay. The guy with the mustache that plays Paco in this. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can see that, yeah, man. He, That's fucked he, up, yeah. He plays a fucking real slime ball. That's a good cast. Yeah, so uh, so in this one, though, he's, you know, he's Paco, and, and you think he did it, but he's, like, watching the kid the whole time, and, and he's like, oh, Paco, you saved my life. And he's like, because hey. he shoots him creepy all the time. He's, like, looking in the window, and he's going up the stairs and peeking on everybody and shit, and you think this guy's a real weirdo, but I guess he's a solid guy in this film. I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't show anything ever. Um, and then, uh, of course, my favorite, uh, the first appearance of Miss Kali Hansa. And here she plays Laura the Maid. Kali Hansa is a fucking interesting person. She's definitely Amazon. She's definitely like a person that is like carved out of stone or carved out of some alien mineral that's foreign to Earth. Because uh, <laughs> as you hear in the few episodes later, uh, I go on and on about Kali Hansa every movie I see her in. And, and, uh, Kali calls me a Kali Hansa fanboy because I'm just gushing yeah. about Kali Hansa. But in this, though, she's just so fucking perfect, man. Her skin's no marks on it. She just looks like, you know, and she and she has everything tied back in this film. She's not yet loose. Uh, she wears this cool black kind of a black opal kind of a horned necklace and uh, dresses in black and shit. And she has a cool dialogue about the... Uh, Zoya or something, the uh, ancient spirits of the Zengo earth. Zengo or Zengo. Yeah, yeah, Zengo about the whole spirits before time fell when the fogs first came onto the earth. And she has this very cool witchy kind of a fucking speech that she gives in a really cool scene where she's talking to the lead and she's looking out the window and you see her reflection on the black glass. That's really a nice shot. Um, but yeah, she, she's really fucking cool in this. And it's her first film, and she's not in it a lot, but but scene she's in her very striking. Uh, then we have uh, Francisco Acosta as Gene Harris plays Jean-Paul. Uh, and then, of course, another first-timer here, uh, the great Montserrat Prouse, who plays Valerie Lamarck. She is definitely the fucking lead of this film. Yeah. She's a strong performer. Um, she's in Shakers as Lena, and then uh, she's in uh, she's she's the lead character in Sinner. She's the one that is the movie's about who recounts her life and everything is her character and she's the one that goes through all the travels and stuff and uh then after that she does uh sister eyes of dr orloff those four films and then i think she's out the door after that i don't know if she comes back and sees but or she takes a break but yeah she definitely does these four in a row and she's very strong she's very beautiful uh you can kind of see little trappings of lena in her i think like her eyes and yeah. maybe her forehead and it's interesting it's almost like He's creating the character before Lena appears. So and, the names uh, are Lena. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, too, I read that she was a schoolmate of. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's Anne. I think it was Anne Liebert. Anne Liebert was a schoolmate of uh, um, Lena Romay's. Wow. So Anne Liebert and Lena Romay went to like school together. High school. Can you imagine so, that? Yeah, class? you were in high school. Anne, Anne Liebert, Lena Romay. <laughs> Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Man, that would be amazing. The teenage years. Anne Liebert <laughs> and Lena Romay. Beverly Hills, nine hundred two one zero or something. Yeah. There's a movie in itself right there. I don't know what the rating is. It's already going on in my head right now. Exactly. So, 
I read a thing that's been sticking with me. So Franco films, a lot of them are divided up in either fear or desire. And in this one, I think it's fear. There's not a lot of desire in here, I don't think. Um, maybe she has desire to have a different life or what she wants things to be. But I think it's fear because she's always in fear. You see her scared in the beginning and afraid of things that are happening that she has no control over. People conspiring against her and, and taking the kid away and she fears these things that are happening. So I think this this film is about fear yeah. of uh, co- compared to, you know, Franco's other desire. Yeah, and she, and she fears the, there's a person killing everyone. Yeah, so... <laughs> She's a fearful, actually. So fearful as a fear or yeah. two, you have fear because yeah. you see people in danger in that and there's really not a desire element in this film. Um, but I would say it falls in the fear category. Yeah, definitely. absolutely. But uh, for this one. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, it's, it's a giallo type film. Um, it is kind of a whodunit. You don't really know who it is. And to be honest, when I was watching it, I didn't know who it was. Yeah. There's clue. There's, they throw uh, red herrings at you, the eyeball looking, and you don't know whose eyeball it is because you see the red, and I won't give it away, but you'll see one of the actors has that red in their eyeball. So, so I don't know if it's him watching for protection or I don't know, who knows. But, yeah, so yeah. there's a few things they try to swerve you and stuff. And uh and Franco's not in the film, so uh, you don't see him. Well, um, his brother, his brother's in it playing the guitar. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a guy that Eric said looked like Franco's brother. <laughs> yeah, good point of the guitar. Yeah, there's cool guitar scenes. You see her in the beginning, uh, and the guitar song plays. It's supposed to be her playing, but she's playing like one chord barely, and and it doesn't match up the song. But it's kind of creepy because she's just kind of like a psycho playing this guitar all weird and shit. Yeah. And then you see the guy later playing the guitar in the club, and he's and, and everybody's watching when she walks in later with her jeans on and her fucking ass sticking oh, out. There. Yeah, I know she wears jeans. She's like, hot, man. Yeah. She's those eyes, man. Yeah, oh, those doe eyes. She's very, oh my very gosh. Yeah, Montserrat Prowse. She's uh, definitely a, a. It's this thing about Franco, man. He always like these new women you start seeing in different films, and they're in a few. And you're like, oh my god, who's this? You know? Yeah. So I'm with Kali Hansa. It's like now it's her turn. You start getting <laughs> the Kali Hansa series, and then it's like she does her thing, and yeah. You know, and then, uh, yeah, everybody else is there and here. So, yeah, but, go ahead. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, one thing I'll say though too. Like, I kind of disagree. Um, like Stephen Thor is amazing, but like uh, I kind of disagree with when he talks about the locations being boring, because the the scenery was beautiful. Like the the beaches, the rocks, like those were beautiful. But even the shots inside the house were yeah, beautiful. A lot like, of art in the house. Yeah, the the, the cabinets, the, the the dressers, the. The furniture was beautiful. Like the it was, paintings, the sculptures, mm-hmm. the drawings, the the floor was like the yeah. Black Lodge. It was like a white tile with a red zigzag pattern over and over through the whole thing. It looked really fucking cool, and you'll see that a lot in film. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, it was really cool. So, yeah, a lot of cool landscape shots, really cool beaches. You've seen a lot of the beautiful setting. I, yeah, I thought the... The the water and the mountain range and the the houses and all the locations yeah. are really, really pretty. I, I, yeah, I totally, yeah, totally now, agree I with that. Yeah, yeah. I know it's funny. It's like certain things. I don't know. He he just doesn't dig it or doesn't whatever. But uh, but also, I mean, I do see that. Like you know, some of the ideas that he had of just the setup and stuff and and a lot of the talking without a lot of the action. And I mean, there's yeah. not a lot of cool shots in this. So like, I think uh, to me, it's a Franco film. Not because of uh, the lack of the nudity and all the other stuff. It's totally different, but his setup of his shots and his zoom in mm-hmm. and outs and his stuff. He uses a lot of Franco shots. He doesn't use a lot of wild stuff. He's very contained here. And that's what we talk about with his his own company. He tried to do something a little more academic and a, and a little more by the book, which kind of hurt him because he has cool shots when he does interesting stuff. Yeah. And he did shoot behind objects and a few layer shots and stuff that, Kubrick did and stuff and that's not anything crazy but yeah I think his restraint did hurt and it could have been more of a wild film and a little yeah. craziness and stuff but uh, definitely agree with that definitely but yeah. agree with that but no but definitely I thought it was uh, like I was telling Eric like, it reminded me of like a later independent film where you have a lot of people just talking a lot and, and it's supposed to be kind of intellectual and stuff like a Woody Allen or a New York based you know later on those type of 90s VHS direct-to-video stuff that you've seen a lot of that was like Hal Hartley or something like that where it was not direct-to-VHS but more independent-based. Um, so I thought that part was kind of similar to a lot of things that would come later. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's definitely something that I think a lot of people... Well, no, I think a certain audience would like it. I mean, that doesn't like Franco because it's just a, it's a 70s standard, you know, giallo kind of a yeah. murder mystery, nothing too spectacular, but it's 
definitely not a bad time waster. It's only eighty three minutes, and that's that's not bad. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's, it's uh, to me it was a pleasant surprise. Um, I, I would probably watch it again in the background, but it's not something that's going to make my list or anything. But it's definitely not something that I would discard or think is rubbish or anything. Yeah. You know? I'm not going to go home and go like, you know, oh, I got to watch this tonight. Yeah, like, exactly. this, I got to put this, I got to see this again. This is right. Yeah, right. It's right. Not like that. Unless you want to look at the uh, modest red Prowse's jeans, you know? Yeah. But I think I'd probably watch one of the later movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just a little bit more. Yeah. Cause she doesn't really show. I mean, yeah. but it's cool though, that like the lack of nudity, when you do see like a silhouette of a legs or part of a black underwear, it's like, Oh, it's like really exciting, which is kind of cool because yeah, yeah. when you take away all that shit and you see that, it's like, Oh my God, you know, it's like, well, look yeah. at her legs. Oh my God. You know, that is true. That's, that that's kind of cool. Laps of laps of that is always, you know, yeah. Presses the other stuff. So there's, uh, there's a couple of things that I did see. Those that actually kind of cracked me up. I don't know if I wanted to yeah, go, yeah, yeah, go just real it. quick. Um, first of all, like, so Christian, the, the boy that was kidnapped, um, when they first, when they lay him down in the crib, like he's, yeah. he's like this giant boy. Yeah, he's probably like <laughs> five, maybe or something. Maybe and they put him in this skinny little crib with like yeah. bars that looks like a like a. It's real like just bars. Yeah, it's like metal, like a like a hospital bed. Yeah, yeah a very cool crib. And he's that was too crib. big for it. Like yeah, as like Eric said, he's like I don't think he could fit. Yeah, he can't. He can't even lay down all the way because his legs are too long. You know, and then he kisses her between the bars. Like they kiss between yeah. the bars, almost like they remind me of like some prison. Like you yeah, know, yeah. be like okay, you're being locked up now. You know. So that that kind of that that made me kind of laugh a little bit, and then um, when she was talking to the guy, and she was just saying basically because she was real reserved in the beginning, and she was like, "I could just be just as desirable as my sister," you know. And then all of a sudden, you see her wearing the tight jeans and like yeah, hair down, and, yeah, yeah, she looking stuff from like a prairie kind of a yeah dress to like that, yeah. And that's kind of when she was like more like control, but um, and also too, I was thinking about something just now as we're talking. So when they take the kid away, there's like blood in that crib. Yeah, there was. So what's that blood from? I, I wonder. Know. That's what I'm thinking about because the kid's happy with Paco, and I don't know if that was a diversion that Paco did to to like protect the kid, or if that guy that they catch, if he really did put that note, or I that part is or, where bit, the blood came from. Yeah, yeah, like, that part just seemed like just now. Like, wait, there's blood in there. Where yeah, the there blood was blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's Pongo, right? Pongo, Pongo yeah, Pongo. Pongo, yeah, yeah, Pongo. I'm sorry. Well, here it says Bongo with a B, but I thought it was Pongo. Yeah, it had a P. a P as well. See, I think these books they sometimes some, misspell yeah. some things. I noticed. Yeah, but yeah, and it was kind of funny too when, when they see Pongo with the kid. I'm like, if Pongo had the kid the whole time, he should have been like, hey guys, I have the kid. Like let's go, like let's like let's go. Like there's someone here. Like let's go, you know. But he's like telling the kids stories about what the people were saying. Like goes, oh, and then your sister, your mother, like blah blah blah. I'm like wow, he's just like recounting the tales of what's going on in the big house with everyone getting murdered to this child sitting on his lap, who's totally fine, totally fine. Right, right. But another thing too is funny. Uh, she uh, when they they looked at the boat and they're like, well, they couldn't have taken the boat because only I can drive that boat. Yeah, it's just a fucking rope. I know it was just, just a rope with nothing else in there. <laughs> yeah, it was just uh, yeah, that so. Was... So it says, okay, here we go. I was looking okay. at it. it says uh, to make matters worse, the final act simply falls apart in a development that makes no sense whatsoever. It's real that little Christian had been taken by Bongo, the benevolent family servant, and kept safely away from the house. Is he an accessory to the killer's plan? Yeah, not. It would seem. Or no, it would seem that the child's disappearance and the murder plot just happened to occur, to, to occur simultaneously. This cannot be called a twist. It's simply nonsense. All the motivations are unbelievable and the characters are lazily conceived. The murderer admits that Valerie is the only decent person in this shithole, but has no hesitation in trying to kill her anyway. Bongo is depicted as a kindly old lunatic, but surely by demanding a ransom and terrorizing Valerie, he's lost any claim to our sympathy. Meanwhile, everything is dragged down further by the character of Valerie herself, who spends the whole film either crying or self-righteously criticizing everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I kind of wish I was watching the movie with him just to see how angry he is at the end. <laughs> That's funny. It says the rocky outcrop of Pignon de la Fache and Calapé is glimpsed in one shot. The rest of the story is filmed in Altia along the coast between Calapé and Alicante. So yeah, that was very very cool locations on this. So. Yeah. But he was right about the ending, though. It was, yeah, it was, that's it what was, I'm kind of thinking. Of, like, yeah, so did right the guy? Do they do that to throw the people off to keep the kids safe? But why would you put a ransom note and throw blood? And I don't know. That part isn't. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. And then he had that weird laugh after she took the she took Christian away and walked away with him. Like 
You kind of went, ha, 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 ha. Like, you had this weird kind of But laugh. there was a cool shot, though. I was going to say that final last shot. Well, mm-hmm. the last shot was the island, but it, that scene of them walking away and just kind of stayed there for a little bit and they just kept going in the distance. Yeah. Them go. I thought it was really nice. That was, was a great classy, shot. That was cool, a really good shot. Cool final shot of a film, you know, until you show, show the island real fast, you know. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, no, it's like I said, it's it's a little bit better than I thought. Um, you know, uh it's like an early time waster that he did, more of just a standard movie, you know, something yeah. to watch, like a little story, a little adventure, you know, nothing too crazy. Kind of like a captain of, of 15 years or whatever, yeah. something similar to that, just a regular yeah. movie movie, you know. But uh, yeah, like I said, kid. but that's what he was going through in this post-Soledad uh, t- time time period and stuff, you know, he's just kind of finding his way, doing shit to kind of stay busy and doing different things, which is cool. It's cool that he wasn't just doing the same shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Did the children's movie and then this Who Done It and did a few different stuff, you know, and because that came right before this, so okay, yeah, the the, cap, the captain of fifteen years yeah. was right before this, so it's cool that he did these two back to back, totally different styles, completely than different. what he did. So yeah. you know, so and then uh, in the next two films, he goes back to Uncle Jess territory, oh, you know. Yeah, so, it's good. I mean, he, he can find out if he wants to do it or not do it. Yeah, you know no, I mean? it's, it's good. To, it's good to try new things. Exactly. And as always. an artist or as a person, whatever, mm-hmm. it's good to always try to try to do shit. You know, because hey, man, worst thing you can do is make a bad movie and then go back to your stuff that you know can be a success. And yeah, but if you didn't do that, then you wouldn't know. So yeah. it doesn't hurt to try. So yeah, so it's cool, man. It's, it's good that he does these things. And, Everybody uh, bombs. Yeah, exactly. Man. So <laughs> and definitely, man. I mean, if this is a bomb, man, I've seen a lot, no, it's good. A lot no, of worse is... movies by other directors that are way worse than oh, this. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. But uh, yeah, so no, I didn't think this movie was a bomb though. No, it definitely is definitely pretty good. I'm sure those those will come later as we watch. The, <laughs> unfortunately, the video era of Jess Franco, but we'll see. Yeah, Who knows? Yeah. I mean, maybe those films will fuck kick ass too. We'll know. Yeah. We'll see. So uh, yeah, if you want to kick ass, you would get kick ass by reaching us at uh, FrancoObserver at yahoo.com. Uh, and uh, and you also see our kick ass uh, fucking uh, Facebook page and Instagram page on the use. Uh, said mentioned platforms and uh also too please download the episodes please subscribe please rate uh please share and uh i'm not talking about share the singer i'm talking about share the <laughs> fucking episodes so more people can listen uh we're usually getting around 400 a month usually average somewhere this month's been a little bit down so uh i don't know it's summertime so that's cool i know people are doing other stuff but uh Let's keep up the uh, listening. Let's keep up the army of Jess. And let's not get lazy on our heels. And let's keep marching forward and uh, tearing out all these episodes. Because in uh, three from here, we'll be on episode 50. So wow. that's a good number. So uh, let's see what else we want to say. Um, we do this, of course. The mission statement is praise and memory of Jess Franco, bringing the names and films to new ears and new eyes. And we are doing that as well. So thank you all for doing that. Uh, I don't know. That's probably about it, I think, on this. Um, Any final words? Beautiful nights. All right.